The short game is listener-supported on Patreon. If you'd like to support the show and join us on our Discord, head to theshortgame.net or patreon.com slash theshortgame. Welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Reagan Kelly, and I'm joined this week by two excellent co-hosts. Nate Heininger. And Shane Kelly. And this week, we are talking about Lil Gator Game. Yep. Lil, Lil Gator Game. Lil Gator Game. Lil Ga- that's, that is Lil Gator Game spelled L-I-L Gator Game. Uh, not L-I-T-T-L-E Gator Game. So make sure you're searching for the right thing on Steam. Lil Gator Game. Feels like they. this was a title for the game that they were just like a working title. And then as the game got developed, it got cuter and cuter and cuter. They were just like, we can't improve upon the name Lil Gator Game. And they just stuck with it. Yeah, it's the uh, it's the Untitled Goose Game. <laughs> Yeah, syndrome. <laughs> uh, I, I think it's a good name for the game. It's also uh, it also helps that you know it, you pick your gator's name, and um, so like having a little bit of an anonymous nature to it, it you know it, it, it feels it feels about right. This is an open world sort of vague, not vaguely, extremely Zelda inspired game, but uh, but much less Zelda y than I was expecting. So th- you, we don't actually play a lot of open world games on this show um, because there's so few of them that are short. Um, But this one really, this is about a four hour game or maybe even less depending on how quickly you find all of the things. Um, And it's just an incredibly like cozy, friendly vibe. It's uh, it's a game about a little gator. You're definitely a child. I'm not really sure what age you're supposed to be here, but like really young. You've got an older sister who just started college. So at the very least, you're younger than that. And uh, you and her. You're are... littler than that. Or oh, yeah. Lil. Uh, you're yeah. a little. You're a, you're a little guy. You're, if there's one thing we can guy. be certain of, you're a little gator. You're a little, like, little gator. Yeah. And you and you are uh, exploring an island where you and your older sister used to play elaborate Zelda-inspired pretend play games where she would sort of, you know, go around this whole island with you, setting up challenges for you to complete as the hero. Uh, and back in the day, that's what you loved to do with your older sister. But then she went away to college and she's back to visit but she can't play with you. She is busy working on a project. She's sitting there with her laptop. And while she's being very kind, she's also continues to tell you that like, no, I can't play because I've got important big kid stuff to do. And you, uh, in your big kid, in your little kid wisdom, decide that the best way to solve this problem is to build the most elaborate uh, play, pretend, you know, Zelda world for her to come explore that you possibly can get as many kids in on the game playing as essentially npcs in the in the weird little play pretend world that you're setting up um just recruit all the friends build all the cute structures um battle fake enemies made out of cardboard and um and hopefully by doing all this stuff you'll inspire her to come and play with you yeah, in a lot of ways, I, while the the actual like quests and little action elements that you're doing it didn't feel like it at all. Uh, ultimately, this game kind of felt like Breath of the Wild, but for babies for me, and it was a uh, a great little appetizer for <laughs> made me made me particularly excited for Tears for uh, Tears of the Kingdom that's about to come up. But I don't want to <laughs> I don't want to short sell this game by any means. But it just the the traversal mechanic is is straight up breath of the wild and i really enjoy that so it was it was fun yeah that is probably the the main sort of <laughs> breath of the wild thing in this is that it, it is this open world it's this fully 3d open world and you can climb and you have the like stamina meter just like the breath of the wild games this is yeah. one of my favorite things about the game is instead of the stamina meter in Breath of the Wild, which is just abstract green um, pies or, you know, circles that that uh, you kind of use up in this. They are colorful bracelets that you get from a cool monkey. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. 
that you don't know why, but for whatever reason, they just allow you to climb further. Uh huh. They, I mean, they're uh, they're great bracelets. They're. I remember when I used to work in the Galleria, uh, the mall here in Houston, and uh, they had these stalls that were selling bracelets that had. I was just going to mention kind those. of. Uh, yeah, what were those? They had some like kind of magnet magnetic like microchip that. thing embedded in them that was kind of pure pseudoscience and that the 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 people at the booth would like put them on your wrist and say like, "Here, try it on. When you when you have it on, you'll have incredible balance." And then, you know, when you take it off, they like shove you or some <laughs> something. <laughs> it's just exactly like that, you know? It's those magic bracelets from the from the mall. And everything in this game it has has that um, handmade or or homemade quality, especially what you mentioned, Reagan, is those enemies made out of cardboard, which is just delightful. There's uh, there's just all these crazy cardboard cutout bad guys all over the island uh, for for your sh- shredding pleasure. So I think the thing that really sticks out about this is the is is that it is a, a it, you know it, it's a zelda like in a way but in every possible way they've taken it down to its like little kid yeah version of things so um you know there's a town but it's really just a playground and you're recruiting people to come and like decorate it to be a pretend play town um you know, you're um in fact the main sort of goal of the game is um exploring this island and finding all of the people on it you are, you know, you're all animals. So you're playing, of course, as a little gator, but you've got friends who are like deer and foxes and a shark and, you know, everything. And every time you find a person uh, or an animal person, um, all of them have some little thing they want you to do. And some of them are really simple, like, hey, could you go and bring me, you know, an ice cream or something? You go and get the ice cream, you bring it back, done. And then they, they give you a reward, usually some confetti which is the sort of currency in this <laughs> yeah it's mm-hmm. awesome Crafting and then supplies. they go back to your uh to your home base the little like town that you guys are building um some of them are more complicated it's got this kind of like hub and spoke like big landmark system um from anywhere in the island you can see about three or four um tall things so there's a radio tower there's a um a windmill like a like a power generating windmill um, there's a very tall tree and then there's like a rocky peak and those four places, each of them has a, a bunch of stuff going on at each of those. So that, that does sort of help you navigate. There's no map in this game, um, but it does, you do sort of learn your way around by navigating by these, these tall landmarks. And when you get to each of those tall landmarks, there's a, a crew of people hanging out there, which are kind of the larger quests of the game. And, um, and those still basically uh, come down to, uh, you know, each person has some little like hobby thing that they want you to help them with or, you know, important thing that they want you to go and get for them. Little basic, very basic quests. Um, but they uh, each of these places will have like a bunch of you know kids hanging out there and it, it eventually sort of sums up to a plot like you know you, you've got you got all of your friends your friends went in different different directions on the island you're going and finding them meeting their friends recruiting them all to come back to your home base and hang out and play you know pretend hero with you um it's really really charming i think the gameplay is fun but i think and, and like overall i think this game is great but um I think the thing that stands out to me, uh, the uh, one of the things that stands out to me a lot is the writing of all of the kids. Just this like going around and and uh, trying to piecemeal together this plan to get your sister to play with you is really adorable and really funny how much the kids like either do or do not care about what your plot is. They're just doing their own little kid thing and they will like maybe incorporate you into their little kid thing. Mm -hmm. And everyone's playing together, but they're not all playing the same game. Yeah. And so you're just sort of like interacting with these different groups, trying to convince everyone about the importance of your quest and most of them don't really care. Even your friends that are your close friends that you meet at the beginning don't particularly care. They're just down for a game. And it felt like really realistic 
childlike writing to me where like most of the people that you're interacting with are not particularly engaged in what you're trying to accomplish or don't understand it or agree to it and completely forget three minutes later as to what they agreed (laughs) upon. Uh, It's very delightful and, and very funny. Yeah, they do a really good job of sort of pulling off the like it 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 this not really the way that kids talk, obviously. Like kids are right. kids are complicated like that, but they are really doing a good job of like doing kid like funny bits. You know what I mean? I'm not sure how else to put that, but um, yeah. the writing reminded me so much of the frog detective games, the sort of like um ruthlessly uh like optimistic, childlike um silly perspectives of things very much reminded me of frog detective what was the game that we we the moba game with all the kids that we played i can never remember the oh name yeah it. um our, oh that arcades uh button button city something like that button city yeah yeah uh yeah, that it, had it that kind similar of, kind of thing yeah i it, that vibe and then um attack of the friday monsters you know oh, remember that, that game yeah, yeah. yeah i do Man, that game was so good. There's we should we should do three. Man, it's it's hard to go back to the 3DS now, but like that was such it a good game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shane, you still got my 3DS. I, I do. I'm keeping it <laughs> uh keeping it safe here for you. I've got a nice one. Uh it's the Zelda one. It's right over here on this shelf. Okay. Um, it's cool 3DS. I like to check in on it every now and then. Yeah. Make sure it hasn't gotten sold at a garage sale. Well, not to change there. the subject, but what did you guys name your gators? Good question. <laughs> I give you three guesses. Uh, what did you name uh, your pasta. gator pasta? Yes, I named my gator pasta. <laughs> yeah, of course. I let, uh, I let my son name my gator, and he named the gator Juga. <laughs> Juga. Nice. I like it. Well, I let my daughter play this game alongside me, um, and she chose her first name as the gator's name. Uh, so there you go. Yeah, she was the gator. She was the little gator. I had already named my gator Pasta, and then my my daughter also wanted to name the gator um, her own name, but I had already put in Pasta. So I just, when I was reading her the dialogue, I would just insert her name instead because <laughs> uh, she can't read. She doesn't know. So uh, my daughter can read now, and I will say that my progress on this game was slowed tremendously by having my child play alongside me. But, um, you know, if if it's not clear by by our description of this game and and what you're doing, I found this to be an incredibly child-friendly game to play alongside of, or she would even take the Steam Deck, which was massive in her hands. Mm -hmm. Uh, She would play it and and you know she would actually control it really ground my progression to a halt <laughs> but it was a uh it was a is a really good game for that i mean it's basically like watching a uh a cartoon you know uh, yeah so great game I think to play in particular for kids it helps that this game has zero fail states there's mm-hmm. no like there's no damage there's no, at all there's no health there's no damage of any kind you can't really get stuck um and uh, and, you know, you're you're extremely mobile, but it, it doesn't really require any precision. Um, this like, you know, when you when you first look at this thing, even though it has this very cute, charming vibe to it, it it presents itself as a Zelda like and that, you know, you expect it to have um, action and, uh, you know, challenge. And it has none of that. Um, there, there are enemies to kill. We mentioned them earlier, but they're all made out of cardboard in case it wasn't clear. Literally, they're just cardboard cutouts and yeah. you are going around smacking them with your sword to shred them into confetti, but they don't move around in, in the context of the game. The, you know, it, it, these are things that your friends have set up as part of the game that you're playing to give you something to fight. They're just cardboard cutouts of, you know, monsters with, with very cute, childlike illustrations on them to show what kind of monster they are. Um, And, you know, they're really just there to give you something. They're more of a collectible than an enemy. You know what I mean? They're just there to, like, give you something to hit to collect um, the, the confetti. Um, or sometimes they are the the root of a quest where it'll be like, mm, yeah, I need you to go blue guys. Yeah, go go defeat the monsters that, you know, stole my sandwich over in that area of the woods and you go and kill the five cardboard cutouts and get the sandwich and bring it back yeah everyone seems to be sort of playing along with the gator 
like Shane mentioned some of them like in different ways or to different degrees. Sometimes you have to like convince people to play along with you. They have their own game. They want to play like, like I really, really liked the kid who um, like there, there's a, there's a, a bunch of kids who have all like, they can't decide on what kind of game they want to play. One of them wants to do a cowboy game. One of them wants to do a space game. One of them wants to be a vampire. That one of course was a bat. That was very cute. And you have to go to each of them and try to like get them to come back together and come up with a way for them all to play together. There were some very big Daniel tiger vibes for me, especially around that part of the game. Oh yeah. I could see that. Yeah. It definitely has this sort of like, you know, find a way to play together. Isn't that, that's a, that's mm-hmm. a, that's, that's a, a song tiger on there. Song, Absolutely. Right? Yeah. We've been, we've been parent pilled. Uh-huh. Uh, just absolutely. <laughs> by Daniel tiger. Um, I I've avoided We've avoided that, that, oh, uh, there's, you should not avoid Daniel Tiger. Daniel Tiger yeah. is okay. uh, top it's lovely. tier. Yeah. You can watch it all on the PBS. Fred Kids Rogers app. legacy right there. Yeah. It's great. Honestly, it's so much better than a lot of the crap my kids want to watch. And, uh, and I consider my kids to have like reasonable tastes for, for toddlers. Um, but like Daniel Tiger, you know, it all child media is a little annoying, um, mm-hmm. but Daniel Tiger at least is like really trying hard to teach, um, like emotional intelligence and resilience. That's the sort of the main thing that, that it's like leaning on. It's not trying to teach your kid to like multiply or divide. It's trying to teach them how to like get upset and not hit. <laughs> that's like, that's really good. <laughs> uh, uh, Bluey is a, is a favorite in our house. Which oh yeah. I, think, I love you know. Bluey. I, I like Bluey a lot yeah. better than my kids like Bluey, which is yeah. really frustrating because I want to watch it and they just, if I go into the the Disney app, they just want to watch Spidey and his amazing friends and I never, yeah. never get to steer them towards Bluey. I like Bluey, but I'm concerned that Bandit is a better father than me. So maybe I shouldn't have it on in the house too much. Yeah, that's tricky. I think he sets un- unrealistic expectations at this point. <laughs> you know, uh, I here we are on a real tangent, but this is a fine tangent to be on. I um I have a I have a thing I feel about that, which is that like like yes, you can look at the 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 weird family dynamic that the bluey bandit you know chili um you know family has and to bingo. look at like at bingo yeah sorry everyone forgets about bingo bingo sure. Uh, and, and like, yes, like, oh, you know, he's, he's, he's doing like dad stuff better than me in a way. And it, it can be, it can be a weird feeling, but like, you know what? Like those episodes are seven minutes long. You can yeah. play with your kid like that for seven minutes. I can play with my <laughs> kid like that for seven minutes. And that's all yeah. it really takes. You know, you don't have to be, um, bandit dad all the time. You oh, just absolutely. have to, you just have to be like really, really in it with your kid for seven minutes. And that's all it takes. That's my, that's my bluey spiel. And then you can go clean the garage. In peace. <laughs> yeah. Be a, uh, a work from home paleontologist or whatever it is that he does. <laughs> Some sort of dog job. <laughs> A funny thing about the dog jobs in Bluey. Now we're still talking Bluey. Yeah, he's we a, got it. He's, he, sorry to his all job of our is, His job is listeners. digging up bones. What, yes. what better dog job? And then the mom's yeah. job is she does security at a mall. Another great dog, classic dog job. Mm-hmm. Security and bone digging. Love it. Classic dog jobs. Let's think of some other dog jobs. Now we need to talk Let's about eating the tangent for another 45 yeah. minutes. Um, Burning sheep. <laughs> we haven't talked killing about- rats. <laughs> These are dog jobs as well. well pointing uh, at ducks. Um, can we t- can we talk about smelling too, drugs? Or- <laughs> no, we're just gonna we're just gonna keep on with dog jobs. Dogs with jobs, everyone. <laughs> Love a dog with a job. All right, little gator game. I wanted to talk about its its mechanics because we did we did sort of like it might sound from the fact that we're saying that is like, there's no challenge, there's no action, there's no damage. Um, and, and it may, may sound that there's like no gameplay that it's just about wandering around and talking to animal friends, but that's not really true. This game has a bunch of little mechanics that are there to make it fun to move around. We already mentioned the climbing mechanic, which it deploys really, really well. And you can get creative with it. You can collect the bracelets to be able to climb farther but also it's always fun and challenging to climb up to tall places. It has the, uh, the hang gliding mechanic. So, mm-hmm. which is very similar to breath of the wild where you can jump and then basically jump again, midair to deploy a huge t-shirt, which kind of yep. acts like a parachute. Very cute. 
Um, I had and- a big, I had a beef with the, um, with this particular feature. Um, they should have had different collectible gliders. Just the t-shirt is just kind of goofy. Like they had collectible swords. They had collectible hats. Uh, they had lots of other useful items you could collect. I don't see why they didn't find room in the game for some alternate gliders. Yeah, I'll also say that it's not collectibles in that like you don't go and find these things out in the world. You you collect the confetti and then you exchange the confetti for different designs and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I had actually had a lot of fun dressing up my gator. I mostly had my gator wearing the little cowboy hat, which was adorbs. And um, the uh, the little fairy princess wand instead of a sword was also a very cute touch. Really mm-hmm. liked that. And the other mechanic that we haven't touched on that's a movement mechanic is that you get a shield early on and later on you can exchange that shield for other things. You'd think that you use it to block, but in fact, there's nothing to block in this game. You use it to basically like a sled to scoot downhill Um, and you can exchange it for um, my favorite was that at one point, do you remember? So maybe you guys saw this in the game. So, but, but for, for the listeners, do you guys remember those things that you would, that were like a square with four casters on it and handles yeah. and you would scoot yeah. around on them in the gym when you were in elementary school? Yeah. They have yes, one they of do. those in this oh, I game. I didn't see that. I, I did get the uh, straight up skateboard, which is sick. Yeah, I actually think they did change the the scooting a little bit. The skateboard, it felt like it had more oomph to its movement, you know? Mm-hmm. Um at, at times it felt like a like, you know, Tony Hawk pro skater type of thing. Like you could really you could really shred with the skateboard a little bit. And uh it was kind of fun to move around that way. It was it was really neat that they included that. And um and uh you know, all this stuff added up to just like it was fun to like go and see a thing off in the distance and like get there, you know, climb over stuff or use your skateboard or and and you would constantly find little little hidden stuff as you're going it's just a really it's really full of little like surprises you know every 10 feet there was some little animal friend to talk to and do some little like you know yakuza for babies um quest (laughs) for them yeah lots of fun little traversal uh like puzzles if you wanted to engage with them um or not even necessarily puzzles but just like action moments like uh there'd be a random button on the ground and you'd click it or you'd step over it and all of a sudden uh there's a a downward hill of like 10 flags in front of you and and there's a clock ticking down and now you need to flip into your skateboard or your pot lid or whatever it is and do this little sledding uh mini game and if you execute it properly you get a bunch of confetti and it's like yay it's fun and then you move on or there'll be like a quest that's like climb to the top of this very tall tree and you can't but if you climb up to the to a nearby small tree get to the top where you can rest you can then jump from that tree to a slightly bigger tree uh and climb to the top of that one and then climb to the top of the the one that you need to climb to the top of to scare a bird uh (laughs) and like little stuff like that that is like not necessarily like really challenging but just enough of a challenge to make it fun you might fall off the tree a couple times or you might need to do that pot sled thing twice if you if you Mm -hmm. messed it up but like just little fun mini games that utilize the the traversal mechanics i think probably the trickiest thing about this game is just finding people in the wilderness um, there are a lot of times in this game where you you, know, you go to one of these little hubs, for example, and you'll talk to like five dudes and they all scatter and go to their own little spots around the area. And sometimes they can be quite tricky to find. Um, and even sometimes there's quests that involve some finding something quite small. And given that this game doesn't have a map and um, doesn't have any quest markers or anything, it's just sort of expecting you to like explore the space and kind of get a feel for where things might be. Um, the only times that I really got frustrated in this game was like, and even that is probably an overstatement because it was it was a pretty breezy experience of four hours. But um, the only times where I felt like I might be kind of stuck was like, where did that little pissant penguin go? Like he <laughs> wandered off here somewhere and I can't find him. And I found all the other ones. But he's yeah. so, and, you know, it turned out that he was like, you know, he went down a hill and I couldn't see the other side of that hill from where I was. And it was hard to find him, you know. Um, I, I had that a couple times too. Like, all right, I found mm-hmm. your shiny rock on the beach. Now, where the hell were you? 
You weird little raccoon. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's pretty much the vibe of the game. And it, the, the, this is all exacerbated by the fact that the design of the world in this is incredibly vertical. Like if you imagine yeah. a um like on your on your desk you probably have a cup full of pens and pencils that are all like different lengths sticking straight up out of the cup um different heights that's the geography that we are working with here like between the trees and the super tall peaks and the little teeny tiny valleys in between like you you have to you absolutely have to go to some of those very high places like reagan mentioned the radio tower the big tree uh, in order to navigate around without a map um like that's the way you get around in this game is get real high up and then you'll be able to see things. And if anything's obscured from from high up, then it's uh, practically invisible. That's it's like uh, the secrets of, of this game are all stuff that's not visible from the top of the radio tower. The other thing I wanted to talk about about this game is that it does have. So you know, we've talked about how it's, you know it's funny and it's it's this sort of playful experience. I mentioned about the sister earlier, but this does actually have a kind of a core of like an emotional you know, thing going on here that I think is quite, yeah. you, you don't see this a lot in games, mm-hmm. this feeling of like the, the, that sort of melancholy feeling of being a kid and wanting someone to play with you and they can't. Um, mm-hmm. And also that sort of like being on the cusp of being too old for, for, you know, for play um, and sort of seeing the other side of that, of that chasm, you know, your playmate has moved on Um the, the game has lots of these little like moments where as you're exploring, you know, this is obviously like this, this island, you and your big sis played on this island a lot together when you were, when she was younger, uh, when, when she, before she went off to college and um, you see a lot of these little like moments, uh, I guess they're just sort of meant to be, you know, moments of your memory where you see little shimmery outlines of yourself and big sis, um, you know, playing and you can go up and like look at them and and you know remember something about them and and it is kind of melancholy. Um, yeah, it's it's you know it's acute and sweet, but it's also has this core of like childhood's end. Um, and that's that's something that I don't think we see a lot in games. Um, but it's it's pretty compelling. I, I found it pretty a little bit moving actually. And I won't spoil the ending, but I'll say that like it, it ties that together quite nicely. You know, obviously you kind of expect like, oh, we're doing this whole thing to like get big sis to to play with us. So you kind of expect the ending to go one way. Um, it's a little more emotionally complicated and and towards the end than than I was expecting. Uh, not that it's like, you know, gonna break your heart or anything but it's uh it, it, it i think it pulls it off and it 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 does a little more than you might expect based on its sort of light tone yeah yeah you know i, I i'm sure there's plenty of examples and and i can maybe think of a few but i, I think it's challenging to make a video game uh from a kid's perspective for a lot of reasons right like the inherent mechanics mm-hmm. of most video games uh sort of you know, assume a kid won't be in this sort of situation or uh, shouldn't be in this sort of situation considering, you know, violence is, uh, is like a, is, you know, a major part of the majority of video games. Like it's just really hard to tell a a kid's story in a video game that isn't just a like straight up and down uh, like narrative game, like um, Mm -hmm. a memoir blue that we did a while Mm -hmm. ago, you know, that was, kind of from a kid's perspective. Um, but this is a, a full game. It's got quests and and actions and, and m- you know, mechanics for movement and whatnot. Uh, but it's also a story of kids and I, like young kids, you know, I, probably like eight or nine or something like that, you know. So uh, I, it's, I think it's a challenge as a, as a, for a writing group and for a game developer to, to tell a story like this and make it still fun too you know which i i think is this game is yeah this is a a very interesting game to um to play with a five-year-old because the little gator like you said is probably representing maybe an even older kid than that and uh for but but that said like 
like so it, a lot of the emotional stuff kind of goes over as the story is a little bit over his head you know uh, although i'm i'm reading it out loud when we play together um but the the interesting thing was actually you it is designed so well that you can just hand the controller to the kid and they'll often you know he'll he'll progress it and it, that's he came to me kind of upset the other day because we had unlocked the nerf gun that shoots the darts mm-hmm. and he really wanted yeah. to be able to use it and you know he has been doing so well with the controls in this game but he was just so frustrated that he couldn't aim the nerf gun properly and i was like oh no <laughs> you you are the you are juga Poor and baby. I am big sis. <laughs> I am yeah. helping you aim this Nerf gun. Yeah, there's definitely a barrier there. Like any, any, our kids are in the same age range. So like, you know, any of the like jumping from tree to tree, stuff like that, you know, even though it wasn't, it's, it's not like crazy. It's still too much for, for a kid. Yeah. I, I don't know what age range you get that hand dexterity for something like that. But, uh, you know, my, kid who's a little older than yours struggled with that as well i think it's definitely a a good game for a kid to watch as far as play i think maybe you do need to be a little older but um i think you know it this is a good game for like dads and kids together um so i definitely definitely good in that in that way um also i think this would probably play really well on switch um i bring that up mainly because i think you know like if you if you have a kid who has a switch in their life um this played like a dream like i was expecting it to, to kind of chug on the steam deck not that it's like like elden ring runs fine on the steam deck like lots of stuff runs fine but like it it's a it's an open world it's a wide open large spaces lots of like big tall stuff in the distance but they do a really good job of like doing that sort of like you know low well i, I think it's it's wild to, to think that this game would be like intensive on your gpu like it, it, this is an incredibly pared back experience there's there's no enemies that move. Actually, if I have one thing I, I wish the game had, uh, it's, uh, you know, I know we're like leaning in, this game leans into the imagination. I would love for it to justify having some of these cardboard things come to life and attack you. I, I know that's part of the appeal and all that. But uh, any, anyway, I, I think the game runs great uh, on whatever it's going to run on because it's it's like, it's N64 uh, plus, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's low yeah, poly, it, everything. It looks really good. It's it does. It does have sort of a low it poly aesthetic great. and like flat shaded, no texture. Um, it's that sort of like 3D indie game aesthetic. Um, but it's just really, really well accomplished visually. I think they, you know, they they made all of the animal friends just look really cartoonish and expressive and fun. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the, the landscapes are fun and interesting and guide you and like make you want to go climb things. It's really visually beautiful. Like a good Zelda game. They have pots in places oh, yeah. so that you will want to go and smash those pots and treasure chests at the top of Absolutely. climbing accomplishments. So just good little incentives to get you to get to the top of that uh, little spire. And even if it had nothing to do with the game, as far as the story goes. You feel like you accomplished something and you're going to get some confetti uh, mm-hmm. or that little hopping dude who is hiding in the mountains might be there, too, which is fun. The animals are fantastic to meet, uh, not just the kids that we've described, but like there are some adults that there's like a uh, a slightly chunky cat dad uh, <laughs> that I absolutely loved. Very funny cat cat in khakis. Um, there's. I, I was shocked to meet the kid that is a whale. Like every every kid is basically just like kid with animal head, but then you meet one that's like a whale, and he looks like a bathtub toy, and he's the size of the whole town. <laughs> yeah, that was very funny. I'm not sure what else there is to say about this one, other than that I I totally recommend giving it a shot. Yeah, you don't get a lot of four hour um, open world games, but this one is one that you can absolutely finish in four hours, maybe three and a half. Um, it's so cute. Um, but it's also like, it's funny in a way that will like work for kids, but totally also works for adults. If you like something, you know, a little lighter or, you know, the um, little cozier, so to speak. Um, I, I just, I just really thought this was a lot of fun. So I'm glad we gave it a shot. 
and I would definitely recommend checking this game out. Uh, and it's I, it's on Steam and on uh, the Nintendo Switch, and not on any other consoles. If you're playing on something else, um, sorry, it's on Steam. <laughs> uh, and uh, <laughs> let's see, uh, do we have time for what's making us happy this week? Sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll go first. Um, I don't often play a lot of games that aren't just for this show. And so I finally have one, though, that I want to talk about to recommend for you all. Uh, we did our ninth anniversary episode recently, and I went on a little spiel about how much I love Drinkbox Studios, the makers of Guacamelee, Sever, things like that. Uh, and, and it reminded me that I've actually not played their most recent game called Nobody oh, Saves yeah. the World. Uh, Molly and I are always looking for good couch co-op experiences. And, uh, part of the reason why we love the guacamole games so much, uh, well, I think two years ago they put out a game, maybe it's 2022 called nobody saves the world. It is a top down, uh, like sort of Zelda like, uh, dungeon crawling exploration, uh, beat em up, uh, you know, action adventure game that is a ton of fun. Uh, I it it is continue to confirm my love for Drinkbox Studios. Uh, it has a really fun mechanic that I think is pretty unique and does a lot of work for making the game uh, continue to be fun. Which is that uh, you are able to switch between forms. And able to do it very quickly. And it's not like fighting style forms where you're like one blade versus two blades or something like that. It's like full on. I'm switching from a turtle into a horse, into a mage, into a mermaid, into a tiny little egg. Or, you know, there's like a ton of them. And each of them have their own move sets. And each of them come with their own quests that you need to accomplish in order to level up those forms and unlock additional movesets and unlock additional forms. And so it gives you this constant little incentive to not only explore the world, defeat the dungeons, the dungeons are very brief, which is nice. I, uh, you know, see the whole game, complete the quest, but you're also constantly working on improving the different forms that you've unlocked. And basically all of the forms are fun and unique and interesting to play. So it, it's like, most of these types of games, there's going to be some degree of grinding, some degree of repetition, uh, even just traveling across the overworld. Uh, creatures respawn and, and you find yourself in little fights over and over and over. But because of this mechanic where you pretty much always have a form that you're working on leveling up, even the rep repetitive overworld fights are worth it and fun and and interesting because you can switch between forms and try out different move sets and things like that. Uh, on top of it, it's really funny, really weird. It's got a sense of humor that is hard to explain, but I it, it works for me. Uh, so if you're looking for a good dungeon crawling action game like this, I, I highly recommend it. And then if you happen to have someone to play it with, I recommend it even more. It's a it's a ton of fun. And it you can do couch co-op or you can just do online play. Nice. I've been really meaning to play that, but because you know it it, it seems like it's a little long for the show, I, I kept putting it off. But it, man, I really yeah, love drink boxes stuff. It is too long for how, like for the way we look at games as far as total length goes. I will say that for this type of game. It absolutely respects your time. Uh, I already mentioned it, but the the dungeons are pretty brief, and uh, like it's very easy to sit down for like an hour with this game and feel like you actually accomplished something, and it was worth your time, and you progressed in a game like this, uh, which is not very frequent for games that you know, this is sort of the, the world that this game is sitting in. Uh, now you will need to sit down for that hour, uh, multiple times. I think it's probably like, um, well, let me see what, uh, how long the beat says. Uh, so it's a, if you just mainline the, the main story, it's 15 hours. 
Um, but I suspect this is probably more like a 20 to 25 hour game because uh, there's a lot of other stuff to do and it's like worth it to do, or at least we have been trying to do everything that we find because it's a ton of fun. So, you know, it's still not a crazy time sink or anything like that. 15 to 25 hours, a um, little long for us to do on the show, but absolutely worth your time. If you're looking for something like this, it was on game pass for a long time. They just took it off. Oh, that's uh, so yeah, I'm safe to buy it, but uh, going to a good studio, you know, having to support the if developers folks, if folks haven't played it i i can't recommend severed enough i think it, it got um missed a lot because cool it, game it, really cool game it originally came out on the vita and it seemed at the time like it was going to be totally exclusive to the vita because it was a game that required really at the time it seemed like it totally required both a d-pad and a touchscreen, which was something that pretty much only the vita offered at that time um but they later ported it to um to mobile to phones and uh i tried that version as well and it's also great they managed to figure out how to work around the the lack of a d-pad and it's also on switch which of course has all that stuff and that version is really excellent and i think like if you slept on that game it's like even if you don't think you're into um like um dungeon crawls uh it's a game that'll convert you it's really good yeah um and we did an episode on it way back like 20 I don't know, 18 or something, be my guess. It's probably before that, Reagan. Uh, but Severed remains uh, one of my favorite iPhone game experiences of all time. It was fantastic on iPhone. I I think I like 100%ed it, which is there's a ton of crazy additional challenges and, and, and whatnot. And I almost never do that in a video game. And I loved that game so much. Uh, so yeah, between that and the Guacamelee games, which I also absolutely love, uh, Drinkbox mm-hmm. just crushes it with everything they do. Yeah, um, I I was uh, I was waffling about what to recommend. I have an anime that I'm in the middle of that I'm liking, but um, rather than subject you guys to my opinions, there I will uh, I will recommend a series of books that I've I just read the second. There are three of them, so you know I haven't read that one yet, but I, I can definitely recommend. Um, there's a, an author named uh, Adrian Tchaikovsky um, who wrote um, a series of like sci-fi first contact novels. The first one was called um, Children of Time. And then the second one was uh, Children of Ruin. And I don't remember the title of the third one, but which I haven't read yet. But I wanted to recommend these because I think they're really cool. Um, I just read the second one, which... Um, uh, just as good as the first, almost um, the, the children of time. The premise is it's a, it's, you know, far, far, far future. Um, humanity has expanded to the stars. We haven't found any aliens to talk to. So we start, you know, uplifting animals, like, you know, terraforming worlds, putting earth animals there, giving them like viruses that cause like rapid evolution. And like, <laughs> let's, you know, let's make some aliens to talk to. But then, just as this project is getting off the ground, um, human society completely collapses. And so then thousands and thousands of years later, the finally re-arisen human society that you know rose out of the, the crumbled ashes of the old society is meeting for the first time um, these aliens that, that were created by ancient humans, basically. So first hmm. contact novel with a bit of a twist. The biggest twist in the first one is that they originally planned to terraform and uplift monkeys. So we'd have something like us to talk to. that would be a little different, but not that different, but they accidentally killed all the monkeys and instead they did it to spiders. So it's a, uh, it's a world uh, world completely dominated by a species of hyper intelligent spiders. And um, it just does a really good job. It's like alternates between chapters that are been narrated by the humans uh, and chapters that are narrated by the spiders. And you get this really crazy picture of like, what might a spider's brain be like? Uh, what might it, what, what would be the experience? You know, just really extrapolating from the physical characteristics of a spider. What, what might a spider society be like? Um, and it's, it does a really good job of like putting you in the headspace of this very different creature. And the second book, um, which is what I just finished and really enjoyed as well, basically the exact same plot, but this time it's octopuses. Um, and, <laughs> and the uh, also like very, very different from the spiders. And the thing that that like he keys into with octopuses is that as is true for real octopuses, this guy's got a real thing for the number eight. 
I know, right? Uh, um, yeah. Just like with real octopuses, you know, octopuses have their their brains essentially distributed around their body. They have they have like a main brain, but they also have kind of subbrains for each tentacle. And this, you know, extrapolates forward like, okay, well, if you had hyperintelligent octopuses, essentially they have like a main coordinating brain that in his uh, in his vision of these future octopuses is is almost entirely an emotional mind and then it's it's mechanical minds the eight arms um enact the will of the mental mind but the mental mind doesn't actually understand what the legs are doing so you have this society of octopuses who are like living entirely in their like their like poetry and art and emotion but they're building spaceships they just don't know how they're doing it their legs do it for them um it's a really weird uh, first contact story. And I thought it was, it just, uh, I, he just, he has a real knack for like coming up with like weird brains to be in. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So these books are great. I would recommend them. I just finished the second one. Um, this one was uh, Children of Ruin. The first one was Children of Time by Adrian Tchaikovsky. Well, that uh, sounds Shane, pretty fun. I also uh, have a book to bring to video game book club here. Uh, this one, I think I'm pretty late on this. This book came out in 2020 and I'm already starting to wonder if this thing kind of had its moment. Uh, but this is, uh, the ministry for the future by Kim Stanley Robinson. And this is a piece of, um, science fiction, of, of kind of the near future climate apocalypse, um, uh, and really, more of a saving the world from climate apocalypse. It's it's a it's a really unusual book. It's the the title it refers to a um, kind of a sub organization of the UN that is founded that uh, or of the sub organization of the Paris Climate Agreements, um, and the the kind of leader of this organization and and a few other characters, including you know that where the world is really starting to have that kind of hard landing of uh, climate issues where, you know, millions are killed in super heat waves and the, uh, you know, every coastal city is threatened by sea level rise. And the, the book kind of just takes a real hard sci-fi like science and sociological science, science, a based approach to like what would it look like to pull the world back from that brink and in in that it's an extremely optimistic book it's um if you need something that like will reassure you that like climate change isn't going to completely end the human race uh this is a good book for that that's actually kind of what i went was looking for when i heard about the book and i and i read it um it's it's a little bit wonky um, in that like <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of chapters that are just like Socratic dialogues about monetary policy and hmm. uh, there's there's whole chapters that are like from the point of view of an elk or from the point of view of a carbon molecule. Uh, <laughs> that's really when, that's really it's not doing that. Um, well, on, on the one hand, like that can be very interesting on its own. Um, very strange. Um, but the, the characters themselves are also quite good. I, I particularly like the character of um, a guy named Frank, who was present in India during one of these super heat waves and was one of the only survivors uh, from a large area where the temperature rose so high and there was no... Uh, the power grid fails and basically everyone in this enormous area roasts to death. And, and he's like one of vanishingly few survivors of this heat wave. And, um, you know, he, he kind of becomes a bit of an eco terrorist. Um, but you know, it's, it's a lot more complex than that. Very interesting characters. The thing that I, I, I've got to really recommend the book for though is, positivity and realism like if that's what you're looking for this is this is a this is a really fun one um, so we've got positivity and realism or octopuses building spaceships 
uh, that they yep. don't know that they're building. So <laughs> we've we've got both ends when of the I said, spectrum here. <laughs> when I said at the start that this is a little bit, I wonder if maybe the moment has passed on this. Uh, well, first off, like, you know, it, this picks up right at the time where I guess it was clearly written pre-COVID, uh, but it was also clearly written um, like in a in a very, uh, I guess, crypto optimistic moment uh, as well. There are mm-hmm. a lot of policy changes that involve cryptocurrency being a really <laughs> cool thing. Oh, no. Um, uh, not that that's, I mean, it, technologically, it is it is still an interesting technology, despite all of the uh, all of the issues that it's been having recently. But, uh, you know, and this is also very optimistic about that. If the if the if the whole thing has one fault, it's just blindingly optimistic, like every yeah. policy um, result that could happen in a good way happens. Um, but that the thing that I, I think it leaves you with is um, I there, I have heard before this, this phrase um, it's easier to imagine the end of the world than to imagine the end of capitalism. And uh, this is a story where solving the end of the world also ends capitalism and uh, loved it. Fantastic. <laughs> I, I've been looking forward to checking that one out. I've had that on my, I, I got yeah. the audiobook of that and I've got that sitting ready to listen that I, I haven't gotten around to yet. So I'm looking forward to checking that one out. Um, next time I feel like I'm up for hearing about climate change without having a minor panic attack. Um, yeah, a breakdown. This is exactly what yeah. this book is for. Climate yeah, optimism. Well, um, listeners, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Short Game. You can find our show on the internet at shortgame.fm. Shortgame.fm. We've got uh, links to all the important stuff there. There's a search box for our show notes. Um, You can find buttons to jump into all of the various different podcast platforms, uh, whether you're wanting to go subscribe there or just get into the right spot to leave us a review. We really appreciate reviews. It's a big deal to us. Thank you very much for those of us, those of you who leave them uh, on your podcast platform of choice. Um, you can also find a link to our Patreon there, patreon.com slash the short game. And thank you, patrons. We have some new patrons. Really appreciate you. Thank you, patrons. Um, our uh, our patrons help us support the show. They help us buy and renew our equipment when it needs replacing. They help us pay for the hosting of the show. Um, But also patrons get access to our Discord, which is where we talk about the show and we talk about the games that we're playing. So if you want to just join us and hang out and talk about short games, uh, that's the best way to do it. Go to patreon.com slash the short game and support us at even just a dollar a month. That'll give you instant automatic access to the Discord. And that's we'll be we'll be waiting to say hi. Um, And let's see, you can also find me on Mastodon at Reagan R-A-Y-G-A-N at bird.rodeo. And of course, the links are on the shortgame.fm page. Uh, Nate, where can people find you? On Mastodon at Nate at bird.rodeo and Twitter at Nate STL. And Shane, where can people find you? On Twitter at 8BitShane and on Mastodon at 8BitShane at mstdn.social. And listeners, thank you once again for joining us on this episode of The Short Game.